Welcome to the Courageous Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Carolyn Zanetti. Each episode, we meet thought leaders, game changers, and entrepreneurs sharing their mindset, skill set, and habits so you too can lead with courage and bring your vision to life. Today's episode of the Courageous Leaders Podcast, we have special guest, Rory Callahan. He is a health professional. He has been living in Bali for a number of years, living the dream with this lifestyle business. He's super passionate about all things self-care because it's of his own personal journey to truly value um, self-care and bringing your vision to life. So I'm super excited for you to meet Rory, hear his incredible story and yeah, let's see where we go. Thanks Rory. Awesome, no worries. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, Bali looks beautiful. We are filming this in the uh, COVID pandemic, so it's a bit of a unique scenario. So mm. I'd love to know, first of all, what makes you feel alive? That's a really beautiful question. Uh, what makes me feel alive, Kaz? I think the thing that makes me feel alive is connection. I think uh, there's some like internal sense of um i don't know some like kind of internal drive to to give to share to circulate something that gets me out of bed in the morning um passion purpose icky guy whatever you want to call it i think uh that makes me alive i think also new experiences i love travel i think that's something uh that has probably taught me more than any master's degree or any you know shelf help book ever could have and uh just experiencing things for what they are, I think it, it just cre- it, it brings me alive because it's not a borrowed truth. It's a it's something that I've seen and felt myself, and uh, I think the feeling of that is what makes makes it alive. Whereas everything else is kind of borrowed. So that's uh, surfing, you know, surfing big waves, getting outside my comfort zone, playing in the unknown zone. That uh, you know, and seeing how long I can stay out there and how long I can keep having fun out there and see how resilient I am in, in those moments makes me feel alive. Um, but without pushing it too far because I do have a lot of, um, you know, adventure and, um, what are they called? Like, uh, euphoria based athletes who keep pushing the boundaries and skydiving and so on and so forth. And, you know, they can push the boundaries too far. So I'm also very, I value my health and well-being. I value being alive as well. Uh, I, I, I think, but even, but even in those moments, I think that euphoria can make me feel alive and doing things that uh, other people haven't done. Uh, that's something that makes me feel, feel present as well. So Beautiful. I think there's probably a handful of things there, but hopefully that I, shines I thought you that. were definitely going to say surfing. I was waiting for it. I'm like, this guy loves surfing. But um, mm. love, connection, purpose, travel, beautiful. And I really resonate... Um, life experience is the best teacher over any book or degree because we can both say that and Mm. actually like being immersed in the experience the on the job training shows you more like the learning the failures the um, successes teaches you more than an exam can you know Um, exactly I pose pose a question to the audience anyone that's listening as well is like what's something you've always wanted to do but haven't had the courage to pull the trigger on. And, uh, and I guess like all the education and all the, all the, all the self-help books, all the self-development uh, courses and programs, they're just kind of gearing you up to get to a point 
where you really step into doing what you love and being courageous enough to step outside your comfort zone. And I think, um, you know, the reason I ask that question is because if anyone else is listening and there is something that you want to do, just imagine what it would take to, to pull the trigger, to, to buy the one-way ticket. And it's like as soon as you actually take that action and you put all that learning and that, that, that knowledge into, 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 into movement, into an action-based dynamic, all of a sudden you start to embody the things you already know to be true and this ripple effect just, just happens. And it's like all the travel, like travels, travel is medicine. Travel is, is uh, it's new experiences and it's, it's, it's courageous. It's, it's something beautiful. But at the same time, it's, it's literally just changing environment and environment is medicine. New experiences are medicine. So I don't know. I just want to challenge anyone out there in a very positively and gentle, disruptive way just to, to pull the trigger on something that you really want to do. And uh, you know, you, you don't need to read the four hour work week to, to understand that, you know, you can do what you love and you can delegate and, you know, you can be part of this shared and circular economy. I think we can all from any context, any geographical or cultural background, pull the trigger and, and step into, into that now. And uh, in this isolation, I think it's a beautiful opportunity to, mm -hmm. to really assess and cast a vision for what that is. Well said. Thank you for encouraging our audience to ask themselves quality questions and get curious it's where the magic happens mm -hmm. right um so i would love to know about your call to courage like you know we i believe we all experiences these highs and lows adversity to victory and i know i would love you to share some of your journey that allowed you to step into out of your comfort zone and move to Bali, create your incredible lifestyle business, go after your purpose, get in touch with self-care and live, live that purpose. So what was it like before and what was that breaking point that allowed you to really step into that? Uh, I think it's, it's, it's a journey of, of breaking points. It's a journey of um, celebration and desperation. You know, I think over my lifetime, I, I was born in Fremantle with a single mother who worked her ass off, you know, and she taught me this beautiful work ethic, but it also meant that she wasn't around because she had to make money to, to pay the bills so that we had, my brother and I had every opportunity we could have in life. Um, even, even though we're living in scarcity within the context of, of the communities that we lived in, um, I came, became aware that we were living in abundance and, you know, to be born in Australia was to, to have the golden passport, you know, and, and just have opportunity to education and, like I still remember my year four teacher, you know, she was probably a, a big shining light in my life who just inspired me that uh, I could, I could be more and do more. And it's kind of, it's interesting when I think about that, there's moments of inspiration and moments of desperation. But uh, for the most part, I think, um, yeah, like my year four teacher inspiring me, uh, my mum when I was like 16 or 17, asking me just before I put in my exam, um, you know, credentials for what I wanted to do at university. She sat me down and she's like, Rose, what makes you happy? Not what do you want to be or what do you want to do? It wasn't like that. It was like, it was like, what makes you happy? She connected my sense of, of like purpose to a feeling. Like, just think about that. If you connected what you do to a feeling, what makes you feel good? What makes, what gives you that, like the butterflies in your stomach, what gets you out of bed in the morning that makes you excited to, to jump on a podcast with Kaz and, you know, even in the isolation show up and, and share that message. Like what's, what, what is something that evokes that feeling? And, and for me, she like, she sat down and she asked me some really beautiful questions. And it was like, well, you know, what does make me happy? I was like, well, I'm, I'm really, really curious about the human body. I played sport. I wanted to be a better athlete. And then I was really, my, my mind was kind of like tuned into like fixing things. I love to like 
you know, break things down and build them back up. And uh, so I thought I wanted to be an engineer because that was the thing, right? But she worked with engineers and she was like, well, do you want to work like a 12 or 14 hour day? Do you want to work on the rigs? Do you want to do this type of stuff? Is that the type of lifestyle that you want to live? And I was like, no, not really. And I'd seen two of the engineers that she was working with with broken marriages and getting divorced. And, and this was like in the, in the 12 months leading up to that thing. I was like, well, it's not the definition of success for me at 17. That's not the feeling that I want to chase or I want to work towards, right? So such powerful, powerful question. It's the John Lennon question, the, you know, what makes you happy? Um, and, you know, what he got cool challenged. Mom. What a great yeah, mom. But, but this, is a, this, is, this is a thing. Well, she traveled the world. You know, she was one of the first air hostesses in, uh, in Australia on AAA. And she saw the world. She had me at 44. She met my dad who was 27. So it was this cougar relationship. You know, they had sex <laughs> under the tree in our front yard. And then like nine months later, I was born, right? So, but I had this, that was one, one, one really key lesson that called me to courage um, was the, to do what I love. And then over my, my lifespan as well, like my dad wasn't there. So there were moments where you know, I saw my dad uh, living on the streets where I actually grew up. And uh, he suffered from mental health issues. It led to alcoholism. He used alcohol to numb the pain. Uh, and he told me this kind of later in life that that's, that was the process that made me really understand mental health issues. It made me understand alcoholism. It made me understand like, what led people to be homeless and not feel worthy of help. And uh, there was a moment where I remember just walking. I, was, I went to school at CBC in Fremantle. And um, it was like... I uh, really, it wasn't the cheapest private school, but you know, it was mum wanted me to go there because it'd give me discipline and give me some male role models. And I remember walking to school one morning and uh, I see this, this guy like curled up in the corner and beer bottle next to him. And me and my buddies were kind of like, you know, making a joke and just kind of like pointed this out. And then I had this moment where I was like, shit, that's my dad. And I just remember it was like, this is a moment of courage, right? You talk about courage. I had two, two, two clear options walk on by and pretend he doesn't exist or walk over and acknowledge the man that gave me life. And, uh, I remember in that moment, something just happened. And then even like this kind of gets me to my core. Now it feels, it always mm -hmm. makes me feel like I want to tear up, but I walked over and just put my hand on his shoulder and said, Hey dad, what's up? Like, how are you? And he kind of like looked up in a daze and I just remember that moment. And, uh, and it was nothing more than that, you know? And I just said, Hey, and I uh, just had a quick conversation and said, hey, you're right. And, da, da, da. and then, um, you know, he was completely out of it. And it, it, this wasn't the first time. It, I'd seen it other times as well. But, and then I kind of like went on with my life. But that moment taught me empathy. It taught me compassion. You know, the way my mom treated my father, the way she spoke of him as such a beautiful artist, she never talked about this man with mental health issues and things like that. So that moment was a moment of courage. And I think the next one was probably when, um, when I was about 26 and I'd finished like five and a half, six years of university, had a bachelor's from UWA in sports science, a master's from in physiotherapy from Curtin University. And, you know, I'd, I'd extracted DNA onto a stick, you know, I dissected human bodies. I thought I knew a thing or two about a thing or two, but uh, I was very knowledgeable and had, you know, some of the best pain, um, you know, mentors and, uh, and lecturers in the world. So I like, I thought I knew things, right? But then I came out and I started applying that into the athlete world and I was working as uh, senior physio for the football team that I grew up playing for. And uh, I just remember, I just, I just worked 100 hours a week. I took mum's work ethic and I applied it to what I love because I thought that was the thing. And then I woke up one morning at 26 and I was just burnt out. You know, like couldn't get out of bed. I, like, my, I pressed the alarm clock six times in the morning. Uh, I'd probably, I had about 15 missed calls from my practice manager. 
And um, I just remember just laying there and just like, I was like an iPhone battery on 1%. As soon as I went to get up, I kind of like turned off, you know? And I just knew in that moment that uh, there was a point of desperation, you know? And um, I asked myself three questions and uh, I always ask people this. I'm like, one, are you happy? And when I asked myself, and it was, it was like, you can ask yourself and mentally answer and you can create these beautiful rules for why you are. But when I really sat back and I was like, rules, are you really happy? And I was like, man, I haven't smiled. I haven't laughed in six months. I was like, no, I'm not. I was like, Raw, is he healthy? And I said, no, like I can't even get out of bed. I was a health professional that lost his health. I felt so freaking incongruent. And I was like, even with all the knowledge, I got to this point, you know? And then I was like, Raw, do you feel connected? And I said, no, I, did. I felt disconnected from myself, actually my purpose. I felt disconnected from my partner at the time, my family. I hadn't even been out to see my friends. I hadn't been on a surf trip in four years, even though that was the thing I loved to do, right? And that kind of shifted me and I started to reassess and reevaluate the world. It was a pause in my life. And I feel like now, like fast forward into 32 and 2020, like I'm 32 years of age, I'm in 2020, that personal pause helped shift everything. And I feel like at the moment we're having a global pause where everyone gets the opportunity to really reassess, reevaluate. And uh, I don't know, I feel like this point of desperation is going to create some really cool things. I know after the GFC in 2008, that's where the Airbnb, the Ubers, the shared economies, the circular economies were created. The blockchain for a balanced ledger for money, like all these solutions were created. So I get the feeling that we need these points of desperation personally and collectively to create shifts and change and pivots. And it doesn't need to be a massive one. Like I still love health and well-being. I still want to serve people. I still want to connect. I still want to empower people through a self-care revolution. I still believe in all of that, but I just want to do it in a different way. I want to do it from a place where I'm living the lifestyle that I want to inspire people to live in the context of their own lives. Time free, location free, maybe with their family, maybe with their friends, doing what they love every single day. Maybe it's not in Bali. Maybe it's back in Melbourne and you, you know, you've got this beautiful house and this beautiful unit and this beautiful community and you're contributing to your local community in a way that is meaningful to you. Like, it's, it's different for all of us. So, but the point is, I, just, I realized that I couldn't be a health professional that didn't have this health. I couldn't be a health professional that wasn't connected, knowing that that was the key to longevity. I knew that I couldn't be a health professional that was unhappy because like, happiness is like, that's the reason we're here. We want to we have those bliss moments. And the more of them I have, the more I know I'm on, on the right path, right? And I hadn't, felt, I hadn't felt bliss. I hadn't felt anything for a long time when I was 26. Um, even though you could go out and have fun and have drinks on a, on a Friday night. It wasn't feeling, it was numbing. So yeah, th those are the calls to courage, I think, for me. Oh, love that. So many valuable lessons. I really uh, touched my heart talking about your dad and um, also, um, yeah, going from like burnout to like actually like what do I really want? What do I really want? I think that question about connecting with your feeling if we sit with that, yeah. that will feeling is healing. Like if we don't feel our emotions, there's no true, well, maybe not no true healing. But for me, that's been the path to the greatest healing is feeling your emotions and sitting with the, you know, the lower vibrations of pain, anger, shame, and then being able to go to courage and then transcend and feel the, the bliss, the love, the joy, etc. Um, exactly. Exactly. Mm. I love it. Um, so self-care is your jam. Uh, you tell us a bit about, um, like you go really deep on this, you know, you've studied the blue zones, you've studied 
how to move from stress to like being in that joy state. Tell us um, some of your favorite uh, self-care practices and also like what shifted in you to like really dive deep in this topic? Mm. Well, I think um, the journey really started when, um, you know, we, we all teach what we most need to learn ourselves. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't grow up in an organic farm. I didn't grow up uh, with a well-connected community or tribe or family. All my family lived in Melbourne, right? So I just grew up within the context of my own life. And uh, I think self-care became something that I had to learn. You know, as an athlete, I wanted to learn how to perform better. And then I broke down and got stress fractures. So then I wanted to learn how to fix my body. So I became a physio. And then I burnt out. So then I really tuned into the natural world and food is medicine and, and community and connection is medicine. And then I tuned into like time is my most valuable resource. So then all of a sudden I started chasing things that freed my time rather than things that traded my time. I looked for ways to, to then have a bigger impact. I realized that one-to-one, -one, I could only impact so many people, but one-to-many, I was like, whoa, how can we do that? How can I help that person help 10 people? How can I create, you know, tune into technology or systems or things that, that create a ripple effect that impact people that I might not ever even know or, or meet? You know, I think that was, that was where it was kind of, um, that's where it was kind of founded. Um, but then I guess once I went on my own self-care journey, I learned how to fill my own cup. I learned how to serve from overflow. Uh, I kind of sat back and I was like, well, that's cool for you, Rose, but what about everyone else? And I just remember I had this moment and I used the analogy of like Alice in Wonderland. Like you come out of this rabbit hole that I, I thought I was never going to come out of. You know, I thought you know, I'd been, I'd been down there for like two or three years, spent a hundred thousand dollars trying to buy my health back, you know, seeing the best, the best, the experts, the gurus, the wizards, you know, all the people, healers in Bali. You know, I bought the elephant pants and Ubud and did ecstatic dance. And, you know, I tune into every single like modality that I could, I could get my hands on. I even looked at all the ancient texts, you know, I was looking at like religion. I was looking at the Quran. I was looking at all these things for answers. Right. And, um, and I guess I, when I like, I stepped out of it, it was, it was really simple. It was like, it had always been my choice. It had always been my choice. And, uh, and the, the, the moment that I realized that like I was author of my own biological story, I could cast the vision for the type of person I wanted to be. The moment I realized that there's a guy in the Paralympics with no arms and no legs swimming 50 meters down the pool and that he just had something that was able to, uh, to, to really ignite his human potential. It made me realize that self-care was, it started with self-ownership and it, it, it took a man in the mirror, a woman or a human in the mirror moment where we kind of look at ourselves and be like, I've got no one left to blame. I've got no more energy to play the victim. It's like, it's, it's like I get to change my story. So I cast a vision uh, for a different, different future. And a good friend of mine um, asked me the question, like, what's your ideal day? And I started there. And then I started finding solutions that helped me do that. Uh, amongst my ideal day was an unrestricted body. I wanted to surf and so on and so forth. I actually painted a vision uh, to be in Bali and surfing and to go down to my favorite, cat, uh, go down to my favorite little surf break with my dog and my partner. I didn't even have my partner yet. I just kind of scripted the type of person that she would be in terms of character, integrity and values. And then I'd go surf, I'd come back, maybe grab a juice from one of my favorite cafes, come home, do purpose-based work, right? So all these things, this is where the self-care journey started. But the moment where I was standing on the edge of that rabbit hole and like the Alice in Wonderland moment, like looking down, I saw this abyss and it was like my friends and family were down there. I wasn't the only one suffering. I wasn't the only one who wasn't happy, didn't feel healthy and didn't feel connected. And I guess that's where something within me just said, Ross, you, it's no longer about you. And, uh, and then I started to acknowledge all the, all the people that helped me get to the point where I was. And I realized that it took a village to raise a child. 
and then it becomes a point of self-ownership, the we to me. But then there's all of a sudden this, this, this ripple effect where it's like now you can pay that forward in the same way that your year four teacher, your mum, your dad paid that forward to you. And I just felt a calling to do that. So I basically turned, turned that, uh, that abyss into a framework so that people had scaffolding to crawl out of it in their own time. And then I just became really inspired to, to help anyone that was willing and coachable and just to show up, um, you know, anywhere, anytime and just share the message. And, and this is a beautiful example of that. Um, and I guess, you know, I, you, you asked a question about rituals, but um, I guess we can kind of tune into that. Let's I, yeah, do it. Maybe the next question. What, yeah, we okay. can tune. Yeah, so like, you know, self-care is thrown around a bit about oh what bubble baths do you do to like feel good and obviously we know it's a lot deeper than that and um i would love to know like what are some uh self-care rituals that you use in your life to fill your cup up um yeah yeah i think um and the framework i kind of came down to 12 medicines it's not exclusive you know it's uh, it's a great scale it's there's so much depth to just food as medicine. There's so much depth to the mind as medicine. Like, and then you take the mind out of the equation, you start thinking emotions, and you start thinking energy and quantum physics and spirituality. Like, there's just so much to it. But I, I basically chose 12 medicines to kind of encompass all of it. Um, and then I guess the, you know, you can, there's a cool text you can go check out, The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. You can check mm. out uh, Robin Sharma, the 5am club. It's all about him. just winning your morning. Mm. Yeah. So it's about, it's about winning your morning. So I split it up into three key things. Like the mind is medicine, the movement is medicine, the food is medicine. So uh, the mind is medicine might be me jumping on uh, a podcast as I, you know, scooter down to the beach in the morning on Blinkist. Blinkist is a cool app I use. All, your, all my favorite books in 20 minute blinks. Um, so I listen to that. I tune into that. Now, after that, I might go for a surf. So movement is medicine. But I'm also in nature. So nature is medicine. If I go surfing with a friend, connection is medicine. So it's like the mind is medicine. A movement is medicine. And on the way back home, I go past my favorite cafe or I come home and make a plant-based smoothie bowl or something like that. And it's like I'll have like a green juice. Then food is medicine. It's nourishing. So the, the first two hours of my morning is about nourishment. And this is such a beautiful thing about self-care because somewhere along the way, we were convinced that we had to be fixed. And I really think about that. And as a health professional, I was always banging my head up against the wall. This person had to come to see me to be fixed. And I had some really beautiful mentors in my life that said the best thing that I can do for a patient is get them to a point where they no longer need to come back. And that, that's, that's my role is to guide, to support, to remind them of the innate wisdom, not to replace it, not to, not to get them into some business plan or some 12 week, 12 month course or something like that. It's like, it's just to really remind them of the innate wisdom that is already there. And I think that was the most powerful, powerful point about this because if you think about a flower and humans, you know, genetically, we've got 70% of the same genetic building blocks as most of the plants out in the world, right? Uh, 20 out of 25, the same elemental building blocks that make up plants are in our human body, which is the reason why, like, you know, the soil, the plants, we eat animals, the plants, and that kind of, like, regenerates our body, right? Plus oxygen there, uh, oxygen and water. But it's like the plant, if it's not blossoming and blooming in the way that nature intended, and this is a beautiful question for anyone that's listening, like, what do you do? How do you help this flower blossom? Like, Kaz, what would you say? Water it, give it sunlight. Yeah, be around yeah. other flowers, nature, put it near bees. To... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, now the, the, the modern love. medicine. 
Yeah, the modern medicine approach is like fix the flower, you know, give it medication, give it this, give it something else. But in order to, to help, help a flower blossom and, blo- blossom and bloom, you need to fix the environment which is trying to grow. And we're exactly the same. We're just these big mobile flowers that can change the environment. If you're in a work environment that doesn't serve you, if you're in a home environment that doesn't serve you, if you're in a relationship that doesn't serve you, culturally, you know, if you're in an environment that doesn't suit you, socially, if you're surrounding yourself with five people that are really low vibration and victimization and gossip, it's okay to shift and change that, guys, and to be nourished and seek nourishment and seek seek to be around things that make you feel like anything's possible. Be around be around people and nourish yourself with any tools or rituals that make you feel like you're in your highest vibration and you're all of a sudden start tuning into these laws of attraction and all these universal laws that have been there for so long. And I know that's kind of like a woo-woo way of talking about it, but just come back to, to the three rituals in the morning, things that nourish you, something for the mind, something for the movement and something for food. And then if you can find that sense of ikigai or that sense of purpose, do what you love, um, and do something the world needs, do something the world's willing to pay you for, then you can start to tune into something really, really powerful. And uh, I don't know, I guess that's the simplicity. Beautiful, beautiful, great um, symbolism. You can tell you this just look, naturally flows from you. You're like, if a guy, self-care, nourish, mind, body, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Um, I heard a few times also you talked about um, what I see is like self-responsibility is like taking your power back and not blaming the external circumstance. Be like, yeah, take your power back, which then you get to create the solution, you know, like, um, yeah, I, I, I find that's like one of the most beautiful things. Like with self-care, you get to, nurture and nourish your soul that you can respond to whatever comes your way and then you don't put the blame on anyone else because you are in that right um state to be able to handle the change or conflict or whatever comes your way well you just you touched on something that i'm really passionate about and it's this concept of whether we are the driver or the passenger of our human experience and, uh, you know, Steve Jobs thing, like we, we get taught to think the world is just the way it is. We just bash in the walls, don't annoy too many people along the way. But it becomes a point where you realize that the world around you is just made, by, made up by people like you, created mental constructs like you. After the Second World War, there was an industrial rev- revolution. There was a need for certain jobs. There was a need for people to be in cubicles for mass production, so on and so forth. Now in this era, like the 60s and 70s kind of came along, there was this love and psychedelics and, you know, getting away from that really concrete, brain and getting back to being feeling beings that think rather than thinking beings that feel and then all of a sudden we got busy again there's a technological revolution everyone's talking about singularity and how technology is going to change the world but now we're finding that technology has become something that's actually creating more isolation and more mental health issues but even in this moment there's duality to that because we're using technology to actually promote connection to share a message to be really inspiring so it's such a beautiful beautiful little context but i guess the key question is to really ask yourself have you been the driver or the passenger in your own human experience are you doing what you actually feel is right? Are you doing the thing that you've always wanted to do? Or do you go to bed at night wishing for a different life? You start, you start questioning yourself. And like, Am I really just doing what my parents kind of like unconsciously, consciously told me to do? Am I just doing what society said was okay? And it's like, as soon as you stepped outside of those, those, those lines or those, that, that comfort zone, all of a sudden you get challenged. So you just go back to comfort, right? Whereas my mom, when I was younger, she said, Rose, you can draw outside the lines. You want to do a, if you want that bear to be purple, it can be purple. If you want to give it wings, give it wings. So I got permission to, to, to draw outside the lines, to get uncomfortable, to plan the unknown. 
And if, if anyone's listening, you need that permission now. You have permission to feel the way that you deserve to feel. You, you deserve to be nourished. You deserve to be able to make decisions that change your life. And the sooner you realize that 5% of who we are is maybe determined by our genes, maybe by our, our lack of birthright or our, our social or cultural context, but 95% of who we are is within our control. Mm. Oh man, when you get that, when you really get that, it's uh, like Rupert uh, Sheldrake and um, Dr. Rudy Tanzi from I Super Genes. That's a beautiful quote. You then become the author of your biological story. So after you leave this call, cast a future vision for the next 12 months for the type of ideal day, the type of ideal lifestyle, the type of person, the type of people you want to connect yourself with, the type of abundance you want to you attract and circulate and share. Then all of a sudden, you can start to be the actor in your own, own story, in your own biological story. And then things start to shift and change. You start looking for solutions rather than trusting what other people have told you. Now, if you get a really beautiful internal compass, heart-spaced you know, leadership or heart-spaced feeling that like mum said to me when I was 16, chase the feeling, don't chase the concrete thing of what you should be doing and align that with your vision with some beautiful values, maybe some character and some integrity that'll help you decide whether to go left or right when you're uncertain, then you can start to walk into that unknown. You find a mentor and someone that's walking in the same direction, you can just hold hands for a little bit and I'll take you as far as they can go and then you might find someone else to take you beyond where they've gone and that's okay to move from one to the other. So I don't know, that's, that's kind of where I see it, Kaz. You just tied in leadership, aligning with your values, uh, focusing on your vision and bringing that to life. This is so, so, so important to call in everything we desire. And mm. I would love to lead into relationships and know what do you like, because you've, you know, been in Bali, you've been single, and then you've manifested this beautiful, loving relationship. I've met your girlfriend in Bali. Um, Tell us some things that helped you um, step into that powerful relationship. Well, I think the best thing was uh, mm-hmm. I had two. I had I had two beautiful relationships. I had a five-year relationship with a beautiful uh, lady called Steph, and um, we just kind of grew apart. She was going in one direction, buying a house, and you know, getting a job, and I, I wanted to chase freedom, right? And uh, beautiful soul, but we had to high five and carry on. And then I got to a point where I got really busy. I built this lifestyle waste business that had a lot of people to manage and uh, it created a lot of stress in my life, but a lot of abundance too. And I felt the need to kind of like disconnect temporarily. So I moved down to the Southwest and met this beautiful partner, Chelsea. And, and we lived down there for about three and a half years or three years, I think. And uh, I reconnected with nature. I was surfing on beaches with no one around. And, uh, and, but then I realized that that wasn't my calling because I just didn't have the nourishment of the conversations, the entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial journey, the innovators, the futurists that I needed. But every time I went to Bali, I, I did. So then all of a sudden I tuned into the fact that I was like, where do I feel the best? Where do I feel the most nourished? And myself and Chelsea, we kind of high-fived and carried on with our, our lives as well. We grew apart. Again, same story, right? So she wanted to settle down, get the, the house and the kids. And I was chasing freedom and travel and, and really being a global citizen, right? Um, and then I came to Bali. And I'd been in relationships for 10 years. And I'll be the first to admit it. I just had fun. I said, Rose, do whatever you need to do. No judgment, no comparison, whatever. Just have fun. And I gave myself permission to just be single for a year. And I said, don't jump into anything too soon. I jumped into connections that were vortexes. I jumped into connections that were really freaking beautiful and just the right thing at the wrong time. And it was, it was interesting because each of these things kind of taught me a little bit, bit about the type of person that I was, what I was attracting and who I was looking for. And something that became really clear is I, 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 uh, I, I cast a vision. I, I wrote, I scripted the type of person uh, that I would like to spend my, my life and my time with. And uh, the, 
the title of it, and I've still got it on um, on Evernote. And I remember writing a plane as I was on the way to Bali, and I said, uh, "When you meet her, uh, you will feel it, and you will know. When you meet her, you will feel it, and you will know." And I started listing down the traits and characteristics of the type of person. She was someone that could buy a one way one way ticket. So it was like, because all the, all the people that I'd met who bought a one-way ticket were just so freaking courageous. They could travel somewhere by themselves. They were courageous enough to talk to strangers, to connect, to meet people. I was like, whoa, that's a beautiful freaking trait. Now, I didn't know that, was, that would be the thing, but it just represented all the values, the, the embodiment of the thing, not the, you know, on Instagram or what it looks like. It's like the actual doing of it. Um, and then I was like, the way they treat other people, they're giving, they're sharing, they're circulating. And it was just, it just I wrote down this list of, I just free free road and I probably wrote about I don't know uh, 40 or 50 characteristics of the type of person um, and and then it was like 14 months after I'd been single and one day Lo just showed up and there was that old man's I actually went down there to have a sunset beer with a mate who was who was uh, just wanted to have a chat and wanted a bit of time away from the um, you know from the house and the job and just to just to relax and just have a beer at sunset and I was like okay cool I'd been down there for a while and How romantic, uh, showed up. Old and then, man's, hey, was that a Wednesday night? And, yeah, I think it was actually. And um, but even in that moment, like I was just sitting there and uh, and and I'd actually broken my hand as well. So this is interesting, yes. synchronicity. So um, I'd I'd actually uh, on my birthday just finished a project, finished the self care book, and then for the, the secondary right, and uh, pulled out from behind a car at the same time as someone else, and we just gone bang and hit each other, and I broke my hand. And I wasn't even meant to be at Old Man's. I was meant to be on a surf trip um, over in the Mens, and um, and I ended up flying home, spending five or ten grand to get my, my hand fixed and my insurance didn't cover it. So all these stories that could have happened, but I was like, oh, this is an opportunity, right? And then I came back to Bali, and I'm at Old Man's with my little duck hand because it was getting fixed and it was just healing. And uh, and then Lo just kind of taps on my hand. She's like, oh, what happened to your hand? And that was it. And then as soon as we met each other, we knew. And that was, and that was a funny thing. And, and then like two or three months down the track, it was like, she'd scripted the type of person that she wanted to meet. I'd scripted the type of person I wanted to meet. And I said, I said, I've just got to show you something. And I showed her this like Evernote um, document that I wrote and she started bursting into tears. And she's like, shit, she's like, that's me. It's like 99.9% wow. me. <laughs> and um, so that was the attraction, right? But that 12 month period was, uh, I committed to being the best version of myself as well. So mm. it meant that I could explore existential crisis. I could do the dark night of the soul. I could go have fun and do stupid stuff that I probably regret. And it was just, but it was the full human experience. And then I found my alignment in between. And it was like when I really kind of settled into that is when I attracted her. So it just, I think it gives people permission to just run your own race. And if you mm. find that you want to attract someone into your life and just, commit to being the best version of yourself for, for 12 months for 24 months, whatever it needs. And then script the version of the type of person that you want to be connected to, you know, and uh, someone you want to share the journey with and, you know, they'll show up, they'll show up when they're ready. I love it. I, I agree. Be that person you want to attract, like those traits that you're looking for in another, see how you can become that. If you want some, you know, fit and healthy, are you being fit and healthy? Are you up leveling your mindset? And I think you it's mentioned really as well, it's like accepting all parts of you, like the dark, the light, all oh, parts. Absolutely. And when we have that self-love and compassion and acceptance, then we can actually hold that for another person. Oh, absolutely. And, and just being honest with that, I think the shadow self is, 
is a beautiful part of, of the journey. It's, uh, it's probably, like I said, the desperation, the desperation has taught me more than the inspiration. You know? like the courage is great, but it's like, well, those, those moments of desperation have pivoted me. You know, like I was heading that way and it's like due west and it's pivoted me due north and it's really aligned me with my vision, right? So I think that's, that's, that's so freaking important. And there's one thing else I was going to say, um, but I, I might have forgotten it, but, um, oh, it was about, oh, never mind. I'll come back. But anyway, Tell attraction. Us, attraction. Yeah. Um, I could talk to you for hours and all this. Yes, I love your um, emotional awareness or whatever you want to call it, experience. Um, do you have any tips for our audience on this journey of up-leveling our abundance mindset? You know, um, you've done, you know, you've uh, had a high paying job, you've worked for yourself, you've experienced different, different things. And this is a, a huge thing to unpack. But do you have any tips for people on stepping into their abundance now? Yeah, I, I think definitely the first thing is, is script, script the type of lifestyle that you want to live because you'll soon realize how much money you need or how much you know, resources you need. Money for me is just energy. It's just yeah. a, it's a coin. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a form of transaction that we mentally constructed, right? Different yeah. countries have different forms of transaction. Blockchain is a different form of transaction. I trade mm -hmm. time. We're trading time right now, Kaz. It's probably my, I said this to you, it's my most valuable resource, but I'll show up for people who want to share a similar message, right? Mm. Um, so I think the, the thing in terms of uh, abundance would be one is, is script the ideal lifestyle. And then for me, I was like, well, what do I need personally in terms of money, energy, resources to live that lifestyle? In Bali, it's 500 bucks a week. That's it. You know, so then anything I create beyond that, any side income, multiple streams of income, things that I like just allow for receptivity and ch channel through me, then becomes abundance. And I can, you know, I can self-fund my own projects. I was able to self-fund, um, right? Yes, yeah, self-fund the self-care book without having to give up the vision, self-fund the self-care uh, global platform. And, uh, and it's like a Jeff Bezos thing. Be able to do that for as long as you can before you call other people in because then you can launch something with the integrity that it took. You can have patience to let it distill and percolate and become what it is. I've rewritten the self-care book three times because it wasn't ready to journey. try. Tell us about that journey. Um, Tell us about that. I know we're running out of time, just quickly. Yes, yeah, it's, um, it's the most, most challenging project of my life um, because you know, I work uh, with the Entrepreneurs Resorts and Institute and I host entrepreneur retreats for people and I get, get to look under the bonnets of all these amazing yeah. businesses, some turning over 50 mil, some startups, some people with high paying jobs that want to transition to online health coaches and stuff like that. And it's like everyone wants to write a book, but it's not about the book. The book is like, uh, for me, it's like mm -hmm. a curated consciousness of all the things that you want to share and a simplistic framework that a six-year-old could understand. And then you give it to the world. And then it becomes like, it becomes like the four hour work week that sat on my table that I never read, but it just reminded me of what I already knew to be true. I knew that I could work a four hour work week. And what it meant in my mind was like, okay, I could spend four hours working, but I could spend the other hundred hours doing something that I love and creating abundance. So it had different meaning, right? So the, 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 pro, the process of writing a book is, is uh, it's just got to come from here. Um, I nearly failed English literature. Uh, like if anyone reads my posts on Facebook, my grammar is horrendous. I've even got Grammarly, but it's not about that. I assume that people will read between the lines. Um, I probably should get better at that. But the point is, is like 
it, it's, it's a process real. and it's, mm. but it's a, and it's a process. Like uh, if I showed you the first website that I put up, it was terrible. If I showed you the first uh, like edition, like the first write of the book, um, edition of the book, I just gave it to my mum, and essentially I figured out that I wrote this book for my mum. The one person that I could not help, the lady that had always served from an empty cup, the one that had always, mm. always served from empty in one sense, in the monetary sense, in the salary sense and whatever, but she served from unconditional love. So she was actually serving from overflow in a completely different way. Mm. But you know, when I realised that, it, was, it became this really cathartic process for me. And then, uh, and then, and then it became not about me anymore. And uh, it started to, to mold the secondary right was like, okay, well, that's cool, Ross, like great story, but that's about you. So then the second one was like, okay, cool, well, what's in it for them? So I started framing that. And then the third rewrite was, okay, cool, but not everyone relates to the evidence and the facts. So how do you do it in stories and metaphors and analogies in a way that people won't even know that things are shifting in their chemical biology mm. in their brain, but they've got something like the flower analogy that they can relate to. And they're like, oh, I don't need to be fixed. I just need to be nourished. And it's like, boom, they take that away. And that changes their entire life. It changes the trajectory of what they're looking for, what type of solutions they're seeking. They're no longer seeking gurus and experts and all these expensive courses. They're like, whoa, I've got this innate wisdom. I just need to be reminded. I need mentors that show me where to look, but don't tell me what to see. I need communities that support me on that journey as we move up the health spectrum together, as we learn to thrive together as one creating these blue zone communities and intergenerational ripple effects that, that mean that, you know, I want to have a world that I hand over to future kids or nephews or nieces or whatever it is. But I'm proud to say that I was part of that. At the moment, if I had kids, I'm not proud to bring them into this world. We live in abundance, but a lot of us are choosing to be in scarcity. We've got systems for scarcity. We've had a GFC 10 years. We've got a crisis now. It's like, it's like this pause is a beautiful opportunity to just to readjust, reassess, reevaluate. And maybe like, like me, you realize I only need $500 of money, but I've got a beautiful nourishing community, this culture in Bali, the karma driven thing. I had a friend say that you moved there to take advantage of a third world. And I said, no, I moved here to be nourished. I've learned more from the Balinese culture than I've learned from my, my, my home country. I'm mm. like, this is teaching so much more. And I want to give and share and circulate to that. And that's what we're actually doing in this time of, time of need now where so many people in Bali are suffering. There's a lot of people around here finding ways to share and circulate resources, whether it's food, whether it's money or whatever. And I think that's, that's what Beautiful. the self-care book is about. Mm. It's about we, not just me. Yes. I love that. And you are really big on community. Um, I did start a podcast a couple of years ago, the high vibe tribe, because I believe like connection um, it was one of the pillars. Like, you know, we become like those five people we surround ourselves. Proximity is power, like you mentioned before. Yeah. You're going to hang around low vibe or, you know, people that have the traits and the energy of what it is you want to attract into your life. Um, I could just talk to you all day, but I won't. I so, I've, um, got, I've got to run, beautiful. I've just got a, another friend that's arrived that I've got to look after. Absolutely, absolutely. So, where can we find you? How can we serve you? Like, how can we buy your book? How can we connect with you deeper? Um, just go to selfcare.global uh, on the website and that'll come up with a platform. There's a beautiful little link at the top which will take you to, a, to an ebook. My dog's going nuts at the moment. That'll take it you to an ebook. to the Click nice vibration of the podcast. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Click on that, download it, and I'll take you to a self-care group. And uh, that's where we can hang out. Also on Instagram, there's Rory KC, uh, just at Rory KC. And 
I do my best to keep it human as much as I can and just do a little voice message if you reach out. If you take the time to message me, I'll, I'll do my best to take the time to, to give you a human connection back. Beautiful. And I'll leave those links in the show notes. Uh, is there any last message you'd love to leave with our Courageous Leaders tribe? I think um, just, just uh, probably the one message would be that yeah, self-care is not about being selfish. It's like it's, it's actually the most selfless thing you can do you know, to, to really put yourself in your own schedule, put yourself in your own diary um, and, you know, really tune into some rituals and make you feel like you're in your highest vibration because when you operate from that space, that's where you can really have an impact. It's like I shared with my girlfriend, when I became the best version of myself is when I attracted all this abundance. Same thing as when I put my health first, uh, all of a sudden I attracted all these opportunities that were in plain sight all along. So yeah, be okay with putting yourself first um, and be okay to, to serve at any moment as well because you know, for the most part, if you can even watch this Zoom, you're part of the 8% of the world that has access to this. So, you know, there's such a, it's, it's such a big picture out there. And, um, but the human and the nature connection is what it's all about. So that's it, Kaz. Thank you so much for having me. And if uh, I look forward to chatting with anyone. Thank you. You're a star. I really love your heart. It's all about service and contribution and fun. So have an amazing day. Thanks, Rory. See you, Kaz. Thanks, guys. Thanks, legend. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of the Courageous Leaders Podcast. I would love you to subscribe and leave an honest review on Apple Podcasts. This allows us to inspire and impact more people. If you'd also love to stay connected and see our upcoming events and the show notes, please go to carolynzanetti.com. Thank you so much.